welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logod the Barbarian. And today, I'm joined by Stephen Hart, the Emmy Award-winning author from The Grinning Frog. Welcome, Stephen. Hello, Logar. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We've got a couple of recordings planned for today, and I'm excited. We're going to talk games. And you've put some games out. You may have even won an award or two as well, haven't you? <laughs> I have won one. Let, let, let's not over, <laughs> over, overreach ourselves. I've won one. Okay, I'll tell you what. I've won one so far. How about that? <laughs> hey, we're, we're hoping for two. We're going to cross our fingers. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, if the NA Award Committee want to give me more, you know, medals and things, I'm up for that. I really am. <laughs> not going to turn that down. So tell us about, no. <laughs> tell us about Abracadabra, because that's what you won the NA for. I, I did. Uh, yeah, um, Cadabra, a guide to becoming a magical games master. Um, I think the thing that really shocked me about winning the any for this was the fact that this was actually my first printed publication. Uh, I'd only ever released PDF documents before that. And then I had this, this idea that what I'd really like to produce was a, a guide to games mastering because I've been doing it since 1981. You know, so I, I'm an older individual, not old, older. There's an important distinction there. Um, <laughs> at least I like to think so. And I, I thought, well, I've got something to say. I've got some points, you know, that I've, I've come across over the years. I've played lots of different game systems. I've been a terrible DM. I've been an average DM. I've sometimes been a really good DM, I think. So I wanted to put that into a book form. And also it was a way of, I guess, channeling all the things I loved about the industry or the hobby, because when you write a book about games mastering, you cover everything. You talk about magic items, you talk about creatures, you talk about NPCs and story points and story hooks. And, you know, I got to drop in little anecdotes from the, from the tables and the games that I had played. So it was all went into this, ended up being a 316 page um, book. And I had no concept of what I was doing, quite frankly. Um, so I, I went to Kickstarter and it was, it was probably my third or fourth Kickstarter, I think at that time. And that was 2020 was produced. And the, the funny thing about it was when it arrived, it actually equated to half a ton of books in weight arriving on my doorstep. Oh my now, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This lorry turns up <laughs> and there's a pallet and there's this huge stack of books. I'm like, oh dear God, what have I done? <laughs> and they were stacked up in my hallway for, for you know weeks whilst I was organizing them and posting them. And each one of the wee buggers um, weighs like two and a half um, kilograms. So that's what, five pounds. So it's a, it's a hefty tome of a book. You know, you could probably bludgeon someone with this thing. I'm not recommending <laughs> that. You probably could if you had to. <laughs> Uh, you know, zombie apocalypse and all that. Grab abracadabra, you, you'd be good to go. Because I just didn't know it. I printed it on 170 GSM paper. It's 316 pages, hardbound. It's A4, it's landscape. You know, it's a beast of a book, a beautiful beast. But, you know, there it was. It was this, this incredible thing. And since then, I've done various other books and I've learned about the paperweight and the size and all, all that sort of good stuff. Um, so they're a bit more manageable to hold. But it, it was it was a work of, it was very much a labor of love. And at the very last minute, on the very last day of the applications, I sent it into the NAs, thinking nothing of it, expecting absolutely nothing. And then months passed, and it's quite a long process. You send in the, the books, and then they sort of process them, and what have you. And I, I got this tweet one night from a, from a chap in Scotland, and he said, congratulations. And, and I thought, okay, thanks. 
what for? <laughs> I have no idea what this is for. He's like, you, you've won an any. I was like, no, no, I can't have done because there's two stages. They nominate you and then people vote for them. The, you know, there's no, and I know that the schedule hasn't finished. So the voting still hasn't happened. And also, frankly, who the heck's going to vote for me? Because at that time, I was very, very much an independent small publisher. I still am, but, you know, I am slightly better known now. But he's like, no, no, you've won. And then we looked it up and it was this Judges Spotlight Award. And I was thinking, I actually don't know what this is. <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to Google it and I'm like messaging the, the and, and there's no official confirmation. It's just this thing saying that, you know, there's a list of um, people that have been nominated for awards. And then there was these Spotlight Award winners. And I was like, well, it's under the winners category. So did I ever won this? So this confusion lasted for like 72 hours until I finally got an email from, from the guys um, at the committee going, congratulations, you have won. <laughs> <laughs> so it was this bizarre process of like, really this, my book won? What? You're kidding me. So it, it was, it was quite, quite an event, really the whole, the whole thing. And I'm hugely touched by the fact that they awarded it to the book and, you know, it, it was sort of a nice, validation in many ways because i had long story short lost my job in um, thanks to covid in 2020 after a career as a corporate trainer and doing various other bits and started up the writing for the rpg site i've been doing it casually in the background making 30 40 dollars a month saying on drive through rpg so not enough to live on obviously um and then i thought well okay my particular niche skill set was pretty small covid was there it was no longer a requirement by the, the business community especially where i lived what can i do to keep the lights on and it was a it was what we call in the house a Crichton plan after the chap from farscape who always had terribly outlandish plans so the Crichton plan was do you know write rpgs for a living <laughs> and make enough money every month to pay all the bills. And I was like, well, I'm going to go from $50 to quite a lot more than $50. <laughs> yeah. um, so I went to Kickstarter and put one on there and, and so on. And then the whole thing was kind of led along, but it was all being made up by me on a wish and a prayer, really. It was like, okay, there are, there's no other choices here. There's no backup plan to, to quote James Holden from The Expanse. Yes, we have you know plan B, make sure that plan A works. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was very much my plan A was to, to do this writing. But to then get to win this award was, was a validation that other people who viewed lots and lots of RPG material were much more in tune with it than even I was after all those years in the hobby approved of what I had to say. And that was, that was a huge thing for me. So, you know, it, yes, it sold me a couple of books as well, which was lovely, but really it was the validation that was so powerful for me as a, as a creative, you know, working effectively from a spare room, you know, on my own at that point. I can't imagine. I'd be thrilled. Like, yeah. Hallelujah. So I want to know when you started this, had you, what was your experience with writing, publishing, like, and how much of it did you end up doing on yourself when you were starting, or do you have other have to hire others or pay others to do? Uh, luckily, interestingly, I was I was a corporate trainer for fifteen years, and then within that, so additionally to that, for five years I had worked in executive recruitment. So there was twenty years in this recruitment sphere, and what I never expected was that all the corporate reports that I used to write for my clients all the reports that I would train people to write, all the profiles I would train people to write about top executives, because we did the executive level work, actually translates to writing an NPC. <laughs> it, <laughs> writing a sales document translates to writing 
a good introduction to a book. And I had written within my professional capacity before I had written um, something just for an internal use within a company, but I'd written several handbooks, you know, how to do recruitment, how to do sales, how to you know, negotiate successfully and so on. So I was experienced in doing that. I'd also had a spell of seven years of being self-employed as a corporate trainer. And during that time, I had done a lot of blogging to say to the world, okay, here's my knowledge base. Here's what I know. And I'll come in and train your people on this effectively. Um, so I had that background, but I'd never put anything into print. And then the only experience I had of RPG selling or writing was really for two or three years, I had been, as I say, dabbling in the background of just in my spare time, putting very small documents on to drive through RPG and also DMs Guild. They're, they're still on there. They're very small. They're, they're, they're nice enough. You know, they're fine, but I was very much experimenting and seeing if I could do it, seeing if people, you know, bought it at all or you know what was the feedback was it going to be dear god would you stop writing this is awful <laughs> would people go actually you know what there's something in this it's quite nice um and luckily the, the feedback was very positive so uh, there was that in the background and really it all came together and it's ironic i've spent many many years working in industries that perhaps weren't a fit for someone who's neurodivergent like myself who is actually an introvert who has social anxieties you know i was very much i was doing a very much a frontline people-focused role. So now after decades of doing that, I'm now doing what I think is much better to, for my, my inner nature. But I, can't, I couldn't have done this job if I hadn't spent all that time in the wilderness, so to speak, because that skill set that I learned out there, how to write, how to present, how to present information in a concise, interesting fashion, is effectively what I'm doing now. That's just that instead of it, me talking about some executive in the oil and gas industry, I'm talking about, you know, Magar, the wizard. Yeah, his, stuff you, know, you like. Power. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you combine that then with those 40 years of playing RPGs, it's like, huh, this kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, in fact, I had feedback from a, from a chap recently who I'm running, I think, as you know, uh, uh, it will have been passed by the time this goes out to, to, to the audience. But there's a campaign I'm running called um, Ask Me, uh, You Ask, I Write. And in that, a person can uh, back the campaign and they pay me a reasonably normal amount to write them a bespoke piece of RPG material. It could be anything. It could be an NPC. It could be a magic item. It could be a, a general question. It could be a trap. It could be a um, somebody wanted um, a, sort of a storyline for a campaign. Uh, somebody else gave me a scenario and said, okay, here's this, this great here's this creature floating in the cloud above the city and all the people in the city are feeling depressed and suicidal because of the presence of this this sort of skit, um, squid sky squid but but why how do i make this into an adventure and i, I then put back to him the, the, the points and the thoughts and one of the chaps that i replied to and i gave him his his uh, he wanted an npc his response to me was beautiful because it said, he said, thank you so much for this. It's amazing. I can't remember what you used to do for your, for your, for your career, but you were born to do this. And that, that was absolutely lovely. And I, I just think that it's points like that with the feedback that I get from my, from my readers that I think, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing the right thing for me and I'm doing the right thing for, for everyone else. Um, there was a great motivational speaker called Zig Ziglar. And he used to say that you can have everything you want in life if you help everyone else get what they want. And we're not always in a position to be able to do that in our lives, I don't think. And in our career, sometimes we have to just flip burgers and that's all we get to do. We don't really want to do it, but it's necessary. I've done that, been there, done that for decades and decades. 
and now I'm, I'm blessed to say I'm, I'm taking a different path, which has its own challenges, but I am, you know, really thoroughly enjoying writing the RPG material for the modern um, fans. Let's ask about what led up to all this. I know you said you've been playing since 81. Could you tell me maybe mm-hmm. what you said? You played a lot of games. Let's talk about the games yep. you've played over the years and, and kind of what led to you getting to this point of winning in any. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that let's have a look. It started with um, Dungeons and Dragons. Not, not a big shock there. Although to be, to be fair to it, let's balance it off. Yes. It was Dungeons and Dragons was the one I was introduced to initially. That was basic edition very quickly. I think it was in a couple of weeks. We actually moved to expert because quite frankly, we wanted to be able to level up our <laughs> characters <laughs> um, and for, for those who don't know when you when you play basic D back in the day back in the 80s you could only go to it from memory it's third level uh, it might have been fifth it was third or fifth level so you had to go to the expert rule book you had to buy the second rule book so that you could level up beyond that and get you know the cool spells <laughs> um so we did that so D very much but then tunnels and trolls which is not terribly well known but it's been it's still going it's still in existence um tunnels and trolls was a great resource because they had a, a range of game books that were for solo play so you could sit you know in your bedroom you could sit downstairs whatever in the kitchen table and have a role play experience on your own and i still go back to those modules sometimes i, I still have the, the originals that i had from when i was a kid and i still play them because there's something beautifully simple and and just fabulous about it it's the game without all the we've gone a little bit too there's too many trappings on things there's too many fluffy bits sometimes i think you know we forget the core of it of of role-playing games for people like me i guess is you know you're going down the dungeon you've got a creature you're dealing with it then there's a there's an evil so and so and you're dealing with that person and maybe you complicate maybe you add in some nuances for the modern world but you know, let's just keep it simple. Let's just have some fun. It's a game. And I think those early games, you know, gave you that in spades. And that was lovely. So D&D, Tunnels and Trolls, Star Trek, I probably spent 10 decades, uh, sorry, a decade, 10 years playing in a, a, an old FASA Star Trek role play game. That FASA, that FASA was, the, yeah, that's that. My, my first thing was the FASA Doctor Who. <laughs> so you mentioned oh, that FASA yeah, Star Trek. That's yeah. where. That's where I, I start coming into role playing is that era. I'm like, yeah, good. yeah, I get excited. Yeah, good game <laughs> systems. They're fantastic, aren't they? So they really captured the spirit of their brand. It, it wasn't just like one of those. You sometimes feel nowadays, sometimes it's a bit of a cash grab. Ooh, they bought the Judge Dread license. So for two years, we'll have some Judge Dread material from a company uh, naming their names. But they don't really <laughs> care. They don't really love it. But I always thought the fastest stuff, yeah, they, these guys get it. They understand the, the shows that they're representing. Um, so the Star Trek one was run by a buddy of mine. So I got to play there, not, not the Emmett. God, it was good. <laughs> it was just, it was brutal. And we, we always took the rule that if the roll, if the dice come up, if they come up with a kill result, then you're dead. You know, yeah. we, we respect the dice gods um, and I've kept that to, to, to this day. So there will be times when I'm DMing a game and, you know, it's like, okay, you need to make the saving throw, you know, and if you don't make it, it's going to be a kind of bad thing. And people are like, oh, really kind of fudge it. I'm like, no, whatever comes up, that's what we roll <laughs> with. Let's see that dice. And I, and I, as a DM, I roll in front of the players. I don't have a DM screen. I don't like DM screens. Um, I think they're a bad idea, in fact which is a shame because some of them look beautiful, but are fundamentally wrong. So yeah, roll in front of the players. Yeah, I do. I, I, I have, I have quite a few DM screens, probably for the amount of games I have, not that many, but at the end of the day, I don't really care for using them for some reason. <laughs> they just kind of get in the way. <laughs> like, eh, move this out of the way. I don't need this here. I need to see the players. Well, 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's a barrier. Psychologically, it's a barrier. You know, it's one of the first things when I was trained as a public speaker, one of the first things that was said to me was make sure there's nothing between you and the audience. You have a minimal desk. You, You clear if you have to sit behind a desk in front of a mic, make sure there's nothing else on the table, maybe a glass of water, but put it to the side. You don't want to put things between you and the person. And RPGs are all about people interacting. So why would I clunk it? you know, plunk down on the table, this huge clunking piece of, you know, card or wood or whatever it might be, no matter how amazing it looks. And yes, sometimes I roll dice behind my hand because sometimes I want to have a degree of, you know, godly flexibility, shall we say, in the result that comes out. (laughs) (laughs) I've been, I've been keeping this screen by me lately when I've been DMing on my every other Saturday night game, and I'll put it up every now and then for a few minutes, but usually it ends up getting taken down real quick. And usually for a couple <laughs> rolls here and there, because I, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm fudging a lot of rolls. I, 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 I don't, because, you know, save or die. <laughs> you know what there's not there's nothing wrong with it it's you know we're we're supposed to be, we're playing a game we're supposed to have, you know role play games it's supposed to be fun and entertaining and if the, you know i take the view if the players do if they constructively put themselves into a position that will get them killed or their characters killed then okay they did that but yeah. i'm not going to have them die a stupid death you know i'm not going to have them you know just trip over on the stairs on the way up to the wizard's tower and you know oh roll the dice oh you got a one oh you got a one oh max damage oh i'm sorry you know your beloved character of 2 years is now dead because you tripped over your own shoelace <laughs> that's not right yeah i usually if someone's going to die in my game i've had deaths i've had character deaths and mm-hmm. uh, Usually if someone's going to die before it happens, there has been some kind of warning. Like this is not a safe thing to do. Mm -hmm. It has been expressed. You're going to have to make a save to live through this experience. You're about to put yourself through. So (laughs) absolutely. That's it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. When it's when the player's agency, you've got to respect that. But if so, if they're going to do it, they're going to, it's like if you're playing a modern game, you know, I played some paranoia back back in the eighties. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, you're going to, you know, try and defuse the bomb. It's like, Really? Are you sure whilst, you know, the ship that you're in is jolting around and you've got no training in that particular activity, you know, that's not. And if it goes wrong, what's going to happen? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Okay, It's going to go bang. Surely it's going to go bang. It's going to be a big bang. It's a big bomb. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's it's only fair and reasonable that they get that warning. But if they then ignore that warning, okay, buyer beware. That's on you. Now, I, I usually give player like I'm going to usually be up front when a player's choosing to do something that as a dungeon master, I realize this could become fatal. I'll usually mm. be up front and say, now, are you sure? And, and there's usually probably something else said in there to explain just how deadly the situation is. So they grasp yeah. the, you know, what it is we're imagining here in our minds. They grasp what it is their character would be seeing and doing. Absolutely. And that. Well, that's your responsibility, isn't it? Your job is to outline clearly what the situation is. And and then I would say that, and even then, if they just choose to ignore that and they make a conscious decision, they do it. Okay, you did, you know, trigger the nuclear explosion. You did do the thing that you really shouldn't have done. (laughs) Yeah, usually I'm, as a DM, I'm looking for, I don't like combat encounters as much when it comes to challenges. So if your answer is just to fight whatever it is, I mean, fighting can always end up in death. If you come up with something more creative to deal with whatever dragon, you know, how do I sneak around the dragon and steal his gold? And 
I usually Absolutely. tend to be very lenient to like how successful the more creative things are as a DM. Oh, absolutely. I, I love, I love sort of giving a, and I can't remember, I think fifth editions actually got a mechanic for this, but I love creative suggestions and I will be generous to them or give a role or say, you know what, that sounds great. Let's just do that. You know, but sometimes players will say, you know, I can't, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And they describe it and they've obviously thought it through and they can see it and you can see them imagining it in their head. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's just do that. I don't care what the rules are. I, you know, <laughs> you're at my table. I'm saying yes to that. That's amazing. As long as you're consistent with that. And if they were to do it the week after, you have to respect that. Okay, we've set that now. That's a, there's a precedent um, for the most part. Or again, you ring fence and say, okay, this one time, because I'm so amazed at what you've just come up with. Why don't you try that? You know, and then they, they pull a rabbit out of the hat. And it's that magical moment at the table. You know, which we all love, which is why we play these games for those moments <laughs> that are just, you know, they're sublime, aren't they? they you take that little storyline that you had, you take the character that they created, but then they, this magic is created when they meet and meld together. I oh, love yeah. it. I, I, I'm a big fan. I do it. That's why I've been doing it for as long as I have. <laughs> talking about it now to stop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, here's a question for you then, Logar. Um, what's your favorite game system? I know you oh, haven't actually that asked is, me that, but I'm going to throw it to you. What's your favorite game system favorite to play system. yourself? Yeah. Oh, that's mm. a hard one. I, I mm -hmm. It's probably not the one I've played the most. And I think we've talked, I, I may have kind of answered. It might be, it might be AD&D second edition. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it okay. might be hey. second edition AD&D. I think, you know, when someone says this is my favorite, you have to respect it. And, I, and I've got nothing but admiration and love for, for second edition. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't one I played awfully much. Second and third didn't play so much. I love fourth edition, which is a hugely controversial <laughs> response to the question usually, but I love fourth. So, yeah, here, here's the thing about fourth edition is I've heard so many people say bad things about it. And I've heard a few people say they like it. I never picked it up i was mm -hmm. like i had like when it was out my kids were a little younger than they are now so they required mm -hmm. a little more money and attention <laughs> they were like would always yep. require the money but i was still i was playing second edition ad and d like first and second edition games at the time i was like i don't got the money to upgrade so i'm not going yeah. to yeah <clears throat> no here yeah it just never happened well here's a thought for you logo i think because that, that you're not the first person I, who i've had this conversation with who said that to me i think actually if you look at the demographics of who's playing dnd &D, there was that huge core audience and i had the same thing sort of around second and third um because i had my kids quite early on so they actually were coming on and i started back to fourth because of my children they were of an age where i was like oh yeah we could all do dnd again this is awesome so i started up and it was just this beautiful point that they were just releasing this new new edition and i was returning to the fold you know sort of full time so to speak so i think that demographically fourth got missed by a lot of people then it didn't get the love because it was quite a departure from what had come before they were trying something new and you know, unfortunately, sales talk and as without those sales, then it didn't maintain it. But I think there's some beautiful things in it as a game system. I absolutely love it. It's also not perfect. And in fact, one can argue it's completely broken at the top <laughs> levels. Good Lord. I mean, you've got you've got Tiamat romping around with like 1500 hit points. That's a lot of hit points <laughs> to take off when you're swinging a D, you know, even if you're you know maxed out. You, if you can do 50 points of damage in a round and they've got 1500, I mean, do the maths. That's a lot of hits it takes. That kind of, how do you keep that interesting in combat? It's difficult. So it did struggle. And I think fifth has addressed that better because you have scalability with the powers. So the, there's an improvement there. But fourth for me had the tactical nuances, it had the four different defense types so that 
um, a player could see some creature kind of shambling out of a cave because of the way it moved, they could predict whether it might be slower, it might be a slow creature. So we'll, we'll go after it on the reflex defense, or it, it comes out looking really armored and tough. Maybe it's a lava monster and it's made of molten rock. They're going to go, well, it's going to have a high AC. So maybe we can affect its mind. So we would hit it against the will defense. So because of those four defenses, it was the role playing was baked into it mechanically. I, th I thought it was beautiful and due to this day. So I don't just like fourth edition. I love fourth edition. Well, I, like I said, I haven't played I, I, 3.5, 4 mm -hmm. and 5. I never picked up. <laughs> Not mm -hmm. that I, mm -hmm. I was picking up other games at the time here yep. and there. Yeah. Well, five, I eventually did pick up a fifth edition books. I picked up about a year ago at Christmas when I got a bunch of Target and Walmart gift cards and I saw they had them for like 25, I was like, oh, he's going to get a bunch of D&D books and nice, get a fifth edition nice. collection with these cards. So like, like when I say I didn't pick up fourth, like there's a lot of stuff I didn't pick up there. That was D&D. Um, mm -hmm. I think in those eras, like there were other games we were playing outside. When I ran a fantasy campaign, I was still running an AD&D you know, mm -hmm. with first, mm -hmm. like the first and second stuff. Well, I was playing Traveler sort of, yeah, I was I was doing the same thing. So I did I did some Traveler, um, you know, classic sort of three box edition back to back then. But yeah. I had it for years, and then finally got around to playing it because we had the fast thing had kind of come to an end. And I have that box sitting on my shelf. The three it's the three book case from seventy seven, mm -hmm. and there's a bunch yep. of a bunch of other supplements in there. I have never sat down. I have never ran it for oh, myself. I've it, never played. Never. It's always like we're gonna play it. We're gonna, I've also got that nice uh, Traveler Five they have, where it's like big hardback books in the yeah, yeah, very pretty I've book, very pretty book. Yeah, never ran any of them. Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's true, isn't it? Gonna... Yeah, we all do this though in the hobby, don't we? If we, we're, I don't know whether we all admit it, but we all do it. I think, which is we buy a lot more than we play, and also we read a lot more than we play. I mean, one oh, of yeah. my tenants as a, as an author is to make sure that my material is enjoyable to read because I take the view that. A good 50, 60% of the time, my stuff is got my, whether it's my monthly magazine, The Oracle, or whether it's one of my books like Bastrel's Guide to Magical Oddities. That was a that was a 280 page book that had 150 magic items in. Now, if you think how many magic items normally get crammed into a page, I'm giving two, three, four pages to one magic item so that I can write the story in the background. So it's interesting to read. You know, I know because I'm you know, I do it. I sit there on a Sunday morning and I have a coffee and I open, yeah. I open a book and I'm flicking through it. I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really good fun. I'm just enjoying the reading. And I might play the system <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I get that. I get that. I do that a lot. It's only part of the hobby, isn't it? They're, they're all of this other thing, all these other things, like having this conversation. These are parts of the hobby. Yeah, I, I'm a book addict. I don't know. My whole life, I've, I think I drive uh, my my better half up a wall. Cause I'll just walk around with this little pile of books <laughs> that goes on the couch besides that. I've got a wall of books besides the bed <laughs> and it's just like yep. <laughs> everywhere I go. And I often, especially before COVID would walk around with, have a, a large backpack by me mm -hmm. with books at all times, at least in the car, if it wasn't coming into where we were going. We were <laughs> I have always, I grew up right by a library. Like, like Lugging mm -hmm. around books for me is what I've always done. So if I'm going to play this game or not, I'm going to sit here and read through this stinking book. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. I think it really does 
the hobby does appeal to, to readers, to, to those who like to just soak in all that fiction. You know, I've never met a role player who doesn't also like fiction. It just doesn't happen. You always get the two together. Funnily enough, nowadays, because I'm a because I'm a writer, I always carry around a notebook. That's what is it. In every jacket that I own in, in the car, um, in the office here, obviously, you know, there's notebooks of different sizes. So that <laughs> if there's an idea that comes to me, and I like, yes, I have a phone and I can put it on there and what have you, but I like the old school kinesthetic get the oh, pencil, yeah. get the pen, write it down, put it on a piece of paper. You know, I do things like when I sell a book, um, if you buy a book from me, you will get a handwritten thank you note along oh, with it. Um, I have a Victorian writing slope that I use. I mean, I've gone a little bit geeky on that, I admit. Um, <laughs> but I open that up and I write the card out and I put it in an envelope and it goes in with the book that you get. Because, you know, I'm a small publisher and I think that sort of personal attention is important. I think we've lost a little bit of that over the years. And you know, Wizards of the Coast can produce, you know, 20,000 million copies of their books. That's great. I'm going to produce 200. I'm going to produce 300 maybe on a really big run for me, which someone described as a pitiful, uh, a pitifully <laughs> small print run the other day. And I was like, yeah, but this is what, this is, this is the numbers I'm selling. You know, this is yeah. the reality of it. Um, love to sell more, but you know, I, I, I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think that personal touch, therefore I have the time for it and I want to do it. And it's, and I'm, I'm not obligated to, but it's nice to give back to the industry and to give back to the, the fans who do support me. And I've had some incredibly loyal fans who've said some lovely things to me that keep me going because everybody has doubts and being a self-employed writer in the RPG world, that's quite a niche industry. Yeah. You know, we are a niche of a niche of a niche, let's face it. Um, so to do this takes the support and the love and affection of of fans and and some they've described themselves as that. It was not me being you know honorific. Um, so it's it's a lovely thing when it happens, but you have to respect it and give back a little bit. I think when you're talking about those notebooks, I just got to say every year when it's back to school sales are on, I'm out there. I'm getting me a stack of notebooks for cheap, and and they're getting a little more every year. It used to be I could get like mm-hmm. ten of them for like for like a buck. <laughs> they're not they're not they're not there anymore. <laughs> They're creeping up, but I'll get like stacks of the notebooks and then the three ring binders and I'll just load up. Like I'll make a little with the little, the little folders. Every time I start mm-hmm. a game, I like to set up a little folder with character sheets and printouts and yep. stuff for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to mm-hmm. roll up our kids. So you mentioned that I'm a big notebook person. I've always got my notebook around too. And I write with my pencil. And I always stock up in the back to school special time of the year. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, I like to, you know, I'll do that if I need to, but I, I have to say I'm a bit of a stationary snob. So I do like to be able to treat myself to sort of, you know, bits and pieces or geeky things. Like I, I came across on eBay that um, the Loot Crate people had put out X-Files pencils. So you could buy like four pencils for, I don't know, five, five quid, I think it cost me. Um and, you know, they've got little quotes from the X-Files on the side of them. And it's like, you know what? It just kind of makes me smile. The pencil I'm holding right now says, trust no one. You know, it's not really my, it's not my personal philosophy, but I love the show. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I go with that. <laughs> so it's quite nice to, you know, add add the accoutrements of, you know, the trappings of geekdom, if you will. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, we're coming up about on time. Could you tell the listeners where they can find your stuff online, how they can support you and, and, and reach you and find some of your work. Absolutely. The, the best place to go to is www.thegrinningfrog.com. If it's not up to date, that's my fault. So go there. You'll find links to the Kickstarters. You will find items on sale in the in the shop. You will find freebies in the blog section and news and all the stuff that's the fit print, if you will. It's all in there. So thegrinningfrog.com 
is the central point to find me. And then from there, you can be led elsewhere to the Patreon for the Oracle RPG magazine. Again, you could you can Google that if you want, but all the links stem from the Grinning Prog. And as always, if you enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. Share with your friends. Tell them about us. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards. We're fairly active on there. We'll respond. I am on Twitter at Logar Hale Crom. We're uh, also on our blog, wobbliesandwizards.com. We're on our Patreon. If you can afford to support us, love the support. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.